Hey listeners, I'm Robbie, and this is The Breakdown. This week, I'm so excited to bring you my conversation with Tony Award nominee and artistic director Hunter Foster. Hunter is currently the artistic director for the Red House Arts Center in Syracuse, New York, where he recently directed Rent, God of Carnage, and A Syracuse Christmas Carol. He's directed over 50 plays and musicals across the country at The Cape Playhouse, Agonquit Playhouse, Gateway Playhouse, St. Louis Rep, Casa Manana, Theater Aspen, Great Lakes Theater, Fulton Theater, Jiva Theater, as well as the off-Broadway production of The Other Josh Cohen. He was named the 2018 Director of the Year by the Wall Street Journal for his productions of 42nd Street at the Bucks County Playhouse and The Drowsy Chaperone for the Goodspeed Opera House. He's written the books for six musicals, including the off-Broadway shows Summer of 42 and Jasper in Deadland. As an actor, Hunter appeared on Broadway in Les Mis, Grease, King David, Footloose, The Producers, You're in Town, Million Dollar Quartet, Hands on a Hard Body, The Bridges of Madison County, and was nominated for a Tony Award for Best Leading Actor in a Musical for the Broadway production of Little Shop of Horrors. Listeners, Hunter is one of the most accomplished professionals in our industry, and it was an honor to sit down and chat with him. We talk about his journey from writer to actor to director to artistic director. He talks about how his career as an actor helped him become the director he wanted to be, and how his career as a director shaped how he works as an artistic director. We talked about so many important things, but what Hunter had to say about callbacks was particularly helpful. Hunter talks about how he viewed them as an actor, and how he looks at them now as a director. He has great advice for getting direction in an audition and how to make the most of it, and what he's looking for in the actor's adjustment. We also talk about networking, and Hunter has some great things to say about how he likes to be kept in touch with, and some unique ways to keep in touch with directors you've worked with or people you've taken a class with. This is some career work you can be doing right now, today, in quarantine. Listeners, it was so cool to connect with THE Hunter Foster. I loved our conversation, and I know you will too. Remember, if you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It makes a huge difference for a new podcast. Now, without further ado, my conversation with Tony Award nominee and artistic director, Hunter Foster. All right, I am... uh... Not here, but um, also here with Hunter Foster, director, artistic director of the Red House in Syracuse, New York. We are, uh, you know, I wish we could be doing this in person, but we are doing this over the internet, which just seems to be the way a lot of people are talking and connecting right now. But uh, Hunter, I'm so, so happy that you're here chatting with me, and I'm so happy that we could do this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. You are in Syracuse right now, is that correct? I am in Syracuse, and uh, it's it's not winter, which is good. <laughs> I remember Syracuse being like the winter, like literally snowing every day, or sometimes in the summer or the fall, it would be like 95 degree days just stretching on, like there was, it was so hard to get an in-between. Yeah, we had, um, I think three weeks ago, we had snow. So we had like this this snow that came out of nowhere. And, uh, and during the middle of the week, so it was like, I think it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday, we had this, the temperature dropped, it was, it snowed. And then by Monday, like five days later, it, it was 95. No lie. Like it was, we were all walking around going, how did it go from 37 and snow to 95 and, and blisteringly hot in like one week? 
It was crazy. <laughs> yep. That sounds like what I remember. Yeah. Uh, so clearly we are all affected by this pandemic that's happening right now. And, um, you know, I don't want to talk a ton about that. But a question I like to ask is, what are you up to right now? What are you working on right now? I know that's kind of a hard thing to be to, to answer right now. So maybe a little bit of like what you were working on when this all hit and then what Red House is doing to kind of navigate these waters or I know you're doing some online stuff. So, you know, anything about that? Well, we were uh, in the midst of um, doing Fences, which was our fifth show of the season. We had a six season, six show season planned and Fences was our fifth show. And we were after one week of rehearsals and I remember, you know, it's tough because you're trying to make decisions that affect people's lives, especially when the pandemic started. And I'll never forget, we knew it was starting to get bad. We weren't quite sure what was going on. And so I went to rehearsal and I sort of checked in with the cast and then I came home and then the NBA canceled their season that night. And I sort of, and that, that was the night that like the NBA canceled and then like, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson had it. It was like, it all sort of blew up in one night. And I'll, I'll never forget that uh, Ted Lange, who was our, the director of Fences, he played Isaac on, on Love Boat back in the 70s. And he was he was a director of, of Fences. He's a great guy, great director. And I called him after, all, after the rehearsal. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. I said, this just all sort of... And then I, I said, we need to make a plan about you know what to do. And so... We sort of just sort of start talking about it, and and I was like, maybe we should talk about maybe videotaping and or streaming it. And we so we we started to plan about maybe um, having the cast sort of uh, stay rehearse it, tech it, and then we were going to videotape it and then stream it. And so I had I was frantically calling Equity and trying to come up with rules, and they they sent me to SAG AFTRA, and then SAG AFTRA sent me back to Equity. So everyone, so we were frantically trying to figure out how to at least save the show because the set was built, the costumes were in. Like we were, we were ready. We, after one week, we, we were going to have another week of rehearsal and they were going into to tech. And so it was a frantic couple of days of trying to figure things out. And then when all this, the, the schools got canceled and the stay-at-home orders happened, then we just had to make the decision. And I finally was like, you know what? It's more important to get some of these people home, to get them back to uh, New York, to get them... Um, back to LA to get them back. I mean, it was the, the, the safety of, of the cast was the most important thing. So that's, that's, and then, and you know, the set's still sitting there. <laughs> it's still right. The, the set is literally still in the, in the theater and the, and the costume racks are still there. It's, it's still set up to go and the lights are still hung. So um, that was what we were in the midst of doing. Then we had to cancel fun home, which was our final show of the season. And, uh, and those are all tough decisions. And I think the hardest part is that, things kept changing daily. So you'd make a decision on Thursday, but then Friday there'd be something else would happen and you'd have to make change. And so, um, and, and so we pivoted towards online stuff. We start doing online classes. We do a, a, a weekly show called red talks, which we do every Tuesday. And it's just a, a talk show, which we have people on, uh, either red house, people that are associated with red house or, um, or maybe some of my friends from New York, like we've, or sometimes it's informational, but we just want to make sure that we still have a um, an outreach to our, our community. So we do that every Tuesday. We canceled last night because of uh, the civil or on Tuesday, this Tuesday because of the civil unrest that's happening. And then we've been doing um, uh, uh, we, we just last weekend, we had a play, a Zoom play that was written, um, f especially for Zoom. And we, we rehearsed for two weeks, recorded it. And then we had an opening night last 
Thursday and we ran it for the weekend. It was a, a play written especially for Zoom and it was taking place during the pandemic. So, um, which was a lot of fun. It was great to sort of, even though we were doing it on Zoom, to rehearse the play and feel like you were sort of normal again. And the actors sort of loved it because they were like, finally, we get to be, we get to act again. And then, so then I wrote, I talked, it was only like 40 minutes. And then I talked to the writer and I said, can you, because he wrote it like in April, like he wrote it, it's about the pandemic. Right. So, and then I, I wrote into him, I'm like, I said, I love doing this. I said, can you write a sequel that takes place months later? And then we can restrain that. So he just sent me the, the, new, the, the draft like yesterday and we're going to do a read through on Sunday and we're going to do this, the second part. So it's almost like act two of this play that was written for Zoom. So, so cool. Yeah. And it feels like that makes me feel normal. It makes me feel like, okay, you know, we can have a rehearsal process. We can talk to actors again and actors can act and we, I can direct and, and we can have an opening night. And, you know, so that, that's, that's, so that's what we're currently working on right now. Yeah. It feels good to like still work those muscles, you know, cause that's what they are. Like those thinking creatively. And, you know, for me, even like making self tapes and stuff is just like, Oh, it feels good to still feel like I'm being creative, but also moving forward and still trying to, you know, think in that way and develop yeah. new stuff. It, it makes me feel like, you know, all of us, it makes me feel alive. It makes me feel like we're doing. Yeah. It makes me so. feel alive. Exactly. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to back up a little bit because I think a lot of people want to know about, you know, there's no one way to get to where you want to be in this business. And everyone has a different path. Everyone's going to make different decisions. And what I'm, I'm so happy to talk to you. I've been talking to a couple people who have done different things within the business. And I think that's really important. It's, it's something that I can resonate with even just doing this podcast. So I kind of want to know a little bit of, you know, we can talk, do an abbreviated version of, of how you got to being the artistic director at Red House. Uh, I know you started as an actor. So maybe like how you found the theater and then when did directing start to be something that was really on your mind? Was it always there or was there a show you did or an experience that really made you think like, you know, this is really where I think I belong. Um, I never saw myself as a director. Um, even the first, I always want to be a writer first. That was, uh, that's sort of how I got into the theater is, is I, I wrote when I was a kid and, and, um, I wrote plays and things and, and I wanted to go to school for that. And, but and then I got into acting and then I was, I, I loved it so much. And so I, I was an actor for a long time, but still writing stuff on the side. And then I learned a lot, I think, as a writer, sort of being seeing the show from the other side, like not not being in the play, but being outside the play. And so I think that sort of prepared me for, to be a director. And like I said, I never I never wanted the responsibility of being a director because there's so much responsibility that comes with with being a director. And I just I didn't want all that. And it happened. I was there's a show that I wrote called Summer 42, which is a musical I wrote with David Kirschenbaum that it premiered off Broadway in 2001 and Jed Bernstein, who at the time ran the Bucks County Playhouse wanted to do summer 42, uh, for his summer, summer show. And Lonnie Price was supposed to direct it. And Lonnie and I had known each other for a long time. And, and, uh, then Lonnie called him and said he had to back out because he was uh, directing the um, documentary of um, uh, Merrily We Roll Along, which is a great docu- documentary. And so he didn't have time to direct it anymore. And so then Jed sort of said, well, why don't you direct it? And I go, well, I, don't, I don't know anything about directing. And, 
And so I remember thinking about, I was like, do I really want to do this? And I said, I have to think about it and call you back. And so I thought about it and I was like, well, you know what? I, I've never done it. It it would be the easiest thing in the world because it's my show. It's I wrote it. So um, why not? And so I did it and I had such an amazing time. I was like, well, maybe I could do this again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe I'll do one more. And so I did a, uh, the Rocky Horror for, for Jed. And then I was got cast in uh, Bridges of Madison County on Broadway. So I was going to sort of go back into acting, you know, but then I, when I went into back into bridges, uh, I was kept thinking about the experience of directing and, and wanted to do, you know, to do more. And I never thought I would feel that way. So then, um, I got asked to do another show and then, uh, and then someone else said, Oh, you're directing now. Do you want to do another show? So then it sort of snowballed and I was, I kept directing and getting more offers directing than even I was getting, um, offers as an actor. And, and I'd been, you know, I'd been working at the Cape, for the Cape Playhouse as an actor for many years. And then uh, Mark Cuddy, who was the artistic director at the time at the Cape, asked me to direct there. So that was, you know, that's how I got it, started directing at the Cape, um, you know, and it just, like, it just, other theaters just kept, you know, asking me to do things. So, which was, which was, I'm very fortunate that that, that sort of happened. Um, and then I sort of like, the last thing I acted on stage, I think, was uh, Music Man at the Muni, which is probably, three, four years ago. So that's the last time I've actually really performed. And I sort of knew then I was like, you know what, I, I think I want to commit to this full time. Because I think sometimes it, it, when you transition from actor to d- director, you, you people are like, Oh, is he? What is he? Everyone wants to pigeonhole people into being like, Oh, you're this or you're this. Mm-hmm. Or, or you're, you're a musical theater performer. But you, if you're a mus- musical theater performer, you can't re- be a real actor. And, you know, so yeah, you know what I mean. You get, people get pigeon pigeonholed, and I think yeah. I, I didn't want to be pigeonholed into just being this actor who sometimes directs because they don't take you seriously. And I was like, I was like, no, I have to be a full time director. So that's what I sort of committed myself to being. And then the, the artistic director thing had, had been on my mind for a while. Um, and then you know when it came up for Red House, we were trying to we were my wife and I were trying to figure out like what would be the best. You know, there were there were things there were there were places like you know. Fort Worth or places around the country that just, just didn't seem, I was like, I don't want to be that far away from New York. And, and, uh, when the Syracuse one came up, it was, you know, Syracuse is four hours from New York. It's an, um, my wife grew up in Rochester, which is only an hour from Syracuse. So mm-hmm. we sort of thought, well, that's sort of like the perfect place because you, you'd be near your family. Uh, I'm near to New York. I can drive, you know, it's four hour, four hour drive, 45 minute flight. So it just seemed like it was the the right place to, to go. So then once that of it came available, I sort of really pushed hard to get the job and, and, you know, they had a, an amazing facility. Like it was a, um, it also felt brand, a lot of places you go to that theaters have been doing it a one way for like 30, 40 years. And mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to unravel the way things have always been done and audiences. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I know the Cape is, is like that, but you know, a lot of a lot of theaters that way, where it's Goodspeed or Cape or Paper Mill or you know, it's just it's just set in stone. And the thing about Red House is that it had it was still felt very relatively young and able to be molded into what you want it to be. So that was I was like, well, I can go to a place that I could really make it my own. If I so that was another decision to do this, right. What is it about being an artistic director that you love about it or what, what brought you to it? You know, something that comes up to me is 
you know, getting a great group of people together to create something. But, um, but I want, I wonder what that is for you about, you know, why you decided to go from, you know, freelance directing and moving into something a little bit more. Um, I mean, stability is great, but it keeps you in one place. Like what about wanting to do that? Uh, being an artistic director is, was so exciting to you. Well, I think it sort of changed. I think when I originally thought about being artistic director, I, I was only I was thinking of it just one way, and I, I I don't think that I quite understood the impact a nonprofit can have. They they help lift up the community, they give back to the community. Um, you're investing in something that's there for the community around it, and I didn't I realized the the most significant part of well, what's I've enjoyed the most is being a staple of the community around you and choosing shows for re- for certain reasons for so I mean for cer- certain social reasons like we chose the shows we chose for the season because I wanted to reflect the community I wanted to um you know and and that to me is the most rewarding part of it as as opposed to we're just going to I I mean I think the trap sometimes is like I'm going to pick shows I like or pick shows that I like and and I've seen artistic directors do that and you're kind of like oh, you know why are you doing that show that you know what I mean it's a yeah why are you know you're doing your season you have as opposed to thinking about what people really you know want want to see or giving back to the community in some way so you know like that's we chose uh we chose rent which we thought again was it was about diversity and um there was a a parallel to just, I think, um, the the sort of com- the Syracuse community that and that show, even though the, sh- the show takes place in the early '90s, but there was and and it became like a we wanted to do it in the in the round. We wanted to make it immersive. We wanted to, so we made it so it, it just felt like it was all around you, and people really responded to that. And 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 we sort of had a theme for the whole season. Uh, we did a Syracuse Christmas Carol, which which was a, a, a Christmas Carol that was had uh took place in Syracuse had all these Syracuse references again trying to give back to the community you know a fun home was another again again trying to do trying to do things that sort of reflected uh LGBTQ right you know issues and fences you know African American issues just trying to be as diverse and and welcoming to because I part of the thing I think sometimes is that theater can seem like it's like a, a white privileged only sort of place Mm-hmm. And we wanted to make sure that it was not that it was a place that that anyone's welcome to come to the theater. Yeah, I, I think Syracuse is such a specific community. And I mean, I just know I spent a few years there, but it's and like you said, it's very diverse. And I think it's so important to play to all of those people, do you know? Yeah. And you and you and, and that's the key is you do have to understand who your community is, you know, it, it, if you're programming for good speed you're you're programming for a connecticut mostly white um uh, mm-hmm. mostly musicals uh, mostly um old musicals <laughs> you know i talked to donalyn hilton who's at you know one of the producers at good speed all the time and she's like yeah we can't do rent we can't do we can't even do million dollar quartet we can't do buddy holly like we have to do you know they i think they took a chance on billy elliott this year which was great and i went to see it, it was great but that that elton john was even a stretch for them they, oh gosh! Yeah, and the Cape has it, you know, as its own. Like every every plate, plate, paper mill or whatever, everything sort of has sort of has to look at their community around them and say, okay, what are we doing? Like, how do we, um, you know? So it's it's I'm I'm 
I love that it's diverse. Syracuse is diverse and that we can, and that we can be a little bit more downtown, a little bit more edgier. Mm-hmm. Um, cause they seem to, the, the, the community seems to sort of embrace that, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. I want to switch gears, uh, and talk about the audition room. I'm happy to talk to you because you're a director and an artistic director. And something that always like occurs to me is like, I'll go in and I will audition for the director and then I'll come back for a callback. And then, you know, usually the artistic director is there or that's when the producers are there or or the bosses. And I just kind of always wonder, you know, I guess it's about the the boss signing off on it or saying, you know, yes, uh, I agree with these choices. You know, you are ultimately hiring everybody. But I just wonder if there's anything about, you know, what's the difference between when you're in auditions, I guess, wearing the producer artistic director hat, as opposed to when you're being hired to direct the production, if there is any difference? Well, I think so. I think you're... um I'm still getting used to that. That's a that's a good question. I mean, I directed a lot of the shows this season, so I haven't I haven't had a lot of the experiences in that yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and as a as a director, I've had lots of different experiences with artistic directors because they, uh, you know, because you want to. Some artistic directors want to have a lot of say in casting, and they want their voice heard. Some don't. Um, mm-hmm. So that's always a tricky thing from the director point of view. Like, I was like, well. Does, and how and because I want to honor and respect the artistic director because so most most of the time they are directors as well so they they should have a voice but then again you want to make sure that you're sticking up for what you believe in so that that that's, I always find it a little bit trickier on the director director side um, from there from my point of view from the artistic director point of view is that I I sort of want to I'm more hands off I'm like I I hired you because I trust you mm-hmm. you know I I will give my opinion but I ultimately I'm going to let you make those decisions because even though I'm producing it and I'm I'm overseeing it I still want I still trust you to make the right decisions in terms of casting so I'm a little bit more I'm a, a little bit more hands off and I know a lot of artistic directors are want to be a little more hands on. And, yeah. uh, that's, it, it varies. So I always find it a bit trickier as a director knowing, cause, cause again, I want to have the artistic directors have a say, but then I, I also want to stick up for what I believe in. And again, they all vary. So then you sort of have to adapt as a director about how you work with them. And the good thing is that like, I've, if you've developed a relationship, like, a, like the Bucks County Playhouse, which I've directed probably 20 shows for them, we already have mm-hmm. that re- relationship. They, we don't all that's already worked out between us so mm-hmm. um but again i think you it's a tricky thing to navigate because everyone has wants to have an artistic say though the hardest one is is when you're working for a non-direct sometimes it's harder when you're working with someone who's not a director who is just a producer and that's that can be tricky as well mm-hmm. because they sometimes don't have the same sort of artistic view that you do Mm-hmm. And, um, so then you have to, and sometimes it's a negotiation, I tell actors this all the time. I said, I've been in situations where I like a, my producer likes B and then we, we compromise and choose C, <laughs> which is, and that's important to hear, you know, that's a great example of not, you know, maybe the best actor doesn't always get the job and, and that's, I've never heard that before. So, oh yeah, that happens. That, that happens more often than you think it's, it's, or Sometimes it'll, it'll be like, well, I, I got my first choice to play Sky. You can have your first choice to play Sarah. Yeah. 
you know, and that's, yep. and then you sit there and go, okay, well, I can, it's not my first choice to play Sarah, but I understand where this is how this relationship is going to work. You're, you're, you want to be a part of it. You want to have your say. And so, yeah, it can be a negotiation. It work. I, I mean, I, I like it when I'm, when people are more hands off and I can just pick who I want, but you know, not always the case. Well, it seems like just from even just what you said that your experience as a director has obviously influenced your, you know, what kind of artistic director you want to be. Oh yeah, yeah. I want to be hands. I don't. I want to, and I'm. I'm that. I'm that way as a director for the actors too. I. I don't like. I never responded well to directors who said, "Go over there, turn left, take two steps, say it like this." And you know, I never respond. I always wanted to have freedom as an actor. So that's the same way. I sort of, in my directorial process, I, I trust the actors can make their own decisions. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I'm interested in. I mean, I think we just talked about how, you know, being a director has had such an influence about how you want to be as an artistic director and, you know, as you continue to go forward, I wonder how being an actor and writer made you the director, you know, that you wanted to be maybe back when you were doing summer 42, like right in the beginning when you were just starting to direct more and getting those opportunities. You know, I think it's obvious to say that being an actor and writer has totally made you a a better director and, you know, you've used things, but I just wonder if you can get specific about, you know, what kind, you know, what, it led you to believe what what kind of director you wanted to be. Yeah, I think that's the, one of the reasons why um, I wanted to direct because I was having, I was real, I was also realizing that a lot of experiences I was having were n- negative experiences. So I, I felt like a lot of directors were, I don't want to say abusive, but just how they treated actors. I thought it was poor. Not all. I worked with some really good directors who I loved, and but then there was a lot of directors who were just being. I'm like, you're just, you, you, you shouldn't be, you, if you don't respect actors, you shouldn't be directing them. Like you shouldn't be a director. Like you have to have respect towards the artists that you work with, whether it's the line designer, the costume designer, the actors. And so a lot of directors I'd worked with just didn't have respect for actors. And I just didn't understand that. So, you know, that's one reason why I just, one thing I learned is that I was always going to, when I became a director, I, I was going to treat people with respect, you know, not like make them feel a part of the team make them feel collaborative, make them feel like they're invested in something and not just being told what to do. So that to me was a big part of my mission statement really is, is making sure that everyone has a voice. And then, you know, as an actor, you, you know, I think, I mean, that's, that's how I wanted to be treated as an actor. And, and, and as a writer, you, you sort of, I always talk about it. It's, it's just telling stories. Like you tell stories as a, as a writer, but you also tell stories as an actor and a director. And, um, and part of your job is to make sure that everyone involved is telling the same story. And mm-hmm. if, we're, if there's not, I can always tell when a show has been directed poorly, when it feels like no one is telling the same story. Um, mm-hmm. it feels like the line designer is not telling the same story as the act. And, and I, on Broadway, I've seen it where I'm like, these people are not on the same page and that all falls on the director. It really does. It, it's right. it, it's the fault of the director who cannot get everyone to tell the same story, and mm-hmm. that's the, and that's what we do. We talk about that a lot. We uh, when I direct, I always I, I give every show a word. I, I use, choose a word, and we point towards that word. And it, so, if we ever forget what we're doing and we don't know what the show is about, we always say, "Remember, it's the show is about this." So, like for example, rent. We, our word was community. So, which I think is a great word for rent. So then anytime we, we were trying to figure out what, why we're doing this show, you know, what, what are we, what are we pointing to? We'd always bring up the word community. 
And so, and part of that was even in uh, at the end of the show when Mark's showing his video of the of the whole thing, the last word that's in the video is the word community. So, I love and, that. Yeah, we just felt like that. That's and that's what why we did the show. You know, what, that right. we were in, so it every show we we choose something, some sort of some sort of word. And I just think it just, it, it helps us all get on the same page. Yeah. I think yeah. that's so important. You know, I've never heard it phrased in that way about, um, you know, kind of everyone telling a different story, you know, the designer or an actor of being a production that I found, I found confusing or something that I really didn't like, but that's just, it just seems like that's probably one of the biggest problems is, is, you know, not understanding you know, the themes are like, you know, what, what the message is, or, you know, why are we doing this? Why are we in this room? What are we trying to say with, with the show that we're doing? I think yeah. Lonnie, Lonnie, back to Lonnie, back to Lonnie, who I, I admire a lot, Lonnie Price. And he, always, he always, his biggest thing is, is what the Greek said. He said, I have called you all here. I've called you all here today to tell you this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I always, I always think of that. I'm like, I've called you all here today to tell you this story about for this reason. Like there's a, there's a reason why I've called you to come to the amphitheater today to, to tell you right. something. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Uh, let's move towards um, the audition room. I think a lot of people respond to when we get to talk about this, cause there's, you know, we were talking before about how, you know, some theaters, we always do it this way. And that's the way we always do it because that's the way it's always been done. And I think sometimes this business is a little bit also that way. Like it's very ritualistic. A lot of the times we don't change things because things are reverent or that's the way we were taught to do them. And, and I think because of that, it gets to be a little mysterious. I just don't think that every, everyone is speaking the same language. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there and it's just, uh, it's, it's kind of why the podcast was born. I'm just trying to, you know, not everyone is going to have the same answer to any of these questions, but, but it's helpful to just actually hear what's going on. Or I think it's important to know what the role of everyone is like, who's actually making decisions, who's important. And so, uh, but I'm interested to talk to you about preparation is, is a big thing, right? Like everyone says, Oh, be, you know, be prepared for your audition. Make sure you're prepared. And I just, you know, what does that mean for you when you're watching an actor come in? If you're coming, you know, seeing a day of appointments, what are things that actors do or, or how do they seem when they are prepared? Well, um, I think, you know, I, I don't necessarily need people to be off book. Um, I think it's important when actors, are familiar with the material, uh, at least have, you know, sometimes people audition and have never read the play. And that's, a, that's, you know, there has to be a level of preparation in which you have knowledge of the play you're, you're doing or musical, obviously knowing the sides and the things that you're auditioning with, you know, familiar enough to make choices. And I, when, when I teach classes, audition classes, I'm, I'm always like, I don't want anything general. I don't want to come in and just, I'm just singing a song. And I always ask them, I'm like, why, why did you, why are you, why are you singing that song? And who are you singing that song to? And if they, sometimes they'll, you know, they'll say, well, I just thought it was a really good, cool song and it fits right in my voice. I'm like, that's not a good enough answer. I want to know why you, why, why you were inspired to sing that song. And also who are you singing it to? 
I don't believe anyone just sings, to, at least in the theater theater world. I don't like the the general sort of singing to the singing to nothing. So right, if people, I, so when actors come in and make very sort of specific choices, and you can tell that they've thought through it, and you mm-hmm. can tell that they've they come in with ideas, um, and there's a passion there for what they're they're auditioning for. I can usually tell when people are coming in and don't have a passion for whatever the project is. Mm-hmm. You know, I can see that. I can see that. So for, for me, it's just, it's, it's having that passion. It's, it's coming in saying, I've got a toolbox full of tools so that when we, if we were to hire you, then I know that you can use those tools to help us get, make the best show possible. And, and also a confidence too. You're, you're, you're entrusting someone to be your Eliza Doolittle or your, you know, Henry Higgins or your, uh, whoever. And, and you need, you want to, if you're going to give that to a person, you want to know that they have confidence and that they are confident in themselves. And com- so I, I like to see people that come in that are, that are confident, that are prepared, that are, are, um, are, are willing to say, you know what, I give me the job. I can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I want. You know, is the people come in that are wishy-washy or not confident or sort of looked at the material. And that's when I sit there and go, well, if you, if you didn't really bother to put any effort into this audition, then why do I think you're going to put any effort into, you know, the, the show itself? Yeah. Um, no, that makes know, sense. And, and the other thing is for me, people I want to work with, that's another thing. I don't, I, I want if someone comes in and they're, they're a jerk in the audition room, I don't care how talented you are. I don't want you, I don't want to work with you. If you're not nice to the accompanist, or you're not nice to the monitor, if you're not nice and you have an attitude and you, it doesn't matter. I don't care. I, I will not, I do not want to work with people that are rude or um, have bad reputations or um, that are, that I, I just, that's, that's just a non-starter with me. I don't care who you are. And yeah, um, it's it, that's that, something that's something that's come up a, a lot is is your reputation and you know in thinking about you know that that word networking people like to work with the people that they've worked with before or that they know and have and have confidence in because there are so many people that have you know that are that are more difficult to work with so i, I think that that's been a, a huge thing that people have talked about is just being like a kind person and that sometimes, you know, your reputation can follow you, you know, like if you hear that someone is, you know, not so great to work with that, that can kind of kill, kill your career. Oh yeah. I mean, if it's, I would say that if it's between, let's say it's between two people in a room and we're, we're like, oh, I don't know who, who, who do we want to go with? Mm-hmm. And if the casting director says, I'm telling you this person, this, this one person is so great to work with, I'm going to go with that person. Or on the other side, that person has, has been known to have some problems. I'm not going to go with that person. Right. So, you know. Life is too short and the rehearsal process is too short. Yeah. And there, and there are clues sometimes. Like I've, I've seen people that come in and I sit there and go, they're so talented, but yet they only have like these things on their resume. They're in their 30s. They've had, I'm like, what's, ro- what's wrong? So this, these things don't add up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Why haven't, why hasn't this person done more or, and so you talk to the casting director and they said, well, they've been, they've been, a, you know, then you, you can, you can get a lot of clues from looking at someone's resume and their, their, their ability. And, 
you know, and then you sort of find out, put all the pieces together and sit there and say, okay, they, and I feel bad because, you know, I, I think we can change. We can make, we make mistakes. Everyone makes, everyone makes mistakes. Everyone does things that are, they, they shouldn't. I certainly have. Um, every actor has, every director has, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, I, I want to give people second chances because you don't want to just say, Oh, this person was, uh, uh, you know, was not a kind person on the Les Mis tour when they were 22, but now they're 38. You know, they, they may have grown up. They may have changed. They may have, they have the family right. now they have a, they, they're not that person anymore. So, you know, you also want to keep an eye out for that too, because you want to give people a second chance. For sure. Especially, yeah. especially when maybe they're be- the best choice for the part and mm-hmm. you know, they're going to tell the story the best. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just kind of occurring to me, but it's something I, I always think about as an actor or is one of the harder parts is, okay, great. You go in for that initial appointment and you walk out and you're like, man, that director loved me. Like everyone, you know, the the vibe was right. You felt really good about it. And then great. Your agent calls you, you got a call back and then you're going into the call back. And then all of a sudden there's this like other thing that you're dealing with, which is like, it's my job to lose. There's like a sense of expectation there's just a little bit more at stake because you know maybe you're close to whether it's a big Broadway show or a regional theater job. You know, it's it's important. You know, what would you say to I guess actors coming in for for a callback for you? You know, do you want them to come in and you know do the exact same audition they did before? Do you like them to come in with? You know, sometimes I'm like, well, those choices got me the callback, so I think maybe I should just do it the same. And then I'm like, well, maybe I'll work on it more or come up with new stuff and. Should I wear the exact same jeans and button up that I wore, you know, the day, you know, because I don't want to mess with the vibe or anything. Um, just that that callback and put a, a sense of like tension in the air. Yeah. I mean, for me as an actor, I, I love the callback because when you're going in for the initial audition, you don't know if you're right. You know, you don't know if you're you think you might be the right type or you 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 have no idea. And so you, you have no idea what the director wants or so. That to me was always the har- harder of the two things because I was I, I was just unsure, and so when you go in for the initial call and, and maybe the director gives you some you know an adjustment or whatever, and then then for me the callback was like I've got this. I I always I flipped into sort of more predator mode. I was like I am going to get this part now because I know I know I, I've I they see me in this role. So then I I was very super aggressive and and. Um, I was always a much better callback person, I think, than I was the initial call because I, I got over the insecurity of thinking, well, I'm not right for this or they don't see me in this part. And so I always did better in callbacks. And I think partly because I also took whatever the adjustment I got and then I and I took it a step further. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just like you would in the rehearsal process, you come in one day and then you're 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 constantly building that character. You're constantly building what you're doing. Same thing in an audition. You cut, you came in, you got an adjustment. Now go rethink it. Take what the director gave you, and then double down on it and take it even further. You know, don't just come in and do exactly because you wouldn't do that in the rehearsal process. You would just right. come in and do the exact same thing. You come in and, and you you would put your create own creativity onto it, and then you take it to the next level. And so that's what I love the most. I mean, I've it's when you come when you go into callbacks as a director, you you have it in your brain and it's happened so many times where I'll, in my brain, I'll go, okay, this is my one, this is my two, and this is my three of who I think thinks going to get the part. 
It almost never turns out that way. It almost always someone will come in and, and it's usually what happens is your, your first choice on day one doesn't move and stays in the same spot. And then your second or third choice does something special that takes them into the next realm. Yeah. Almost always. So my advice to actors is to take what you got from that first and now have confidence that you can get the role because they like you. And Mm -hmm. then think about how can I take that adjustment and make it better? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that make, that makes sense. I mean, thinking about it like a rehearsal, like how would you yes. come in the next day? That's right. Because that's a good clue for you. You know, is this, you know, some actors give the performance on opening night that they give in that first audition because they just don't know how to, you know, maybe they were great in that first audition, you know, but you know, it's not, you know, you're not adapting or listening to the people around you or taking those steps forward. So that's probably, it makes sense to me that that's a good measure of whether an actor can move. Yeah, we always talk about that. You said it, it, you never know. You're either, when, you, when an actor comes in, you never know if you're seeing the beginning of a performance or you're seeing the end of a performance. And so we, yeah. and that's something we just we talk we, we we talk about. We sit there and go, okay, is that actor going to be able to? That that's just the that's just the, the that's one. And we're and hopefully by the when they're at ten, or have we seen their ten? And they're never ever going to go past that, and that happens. A, that happens a lot. You see, you you, you get people. You have people that you're so excited about, and you you get them in rehearsal, and then they that you it never gets any better. Mm-hmm. It just stays right there. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of that's fear. A lot of that's sometimes just like holding on to something that feels good, uh, not allowing yourself to be open and and to to move. Um, cause you're, that's, that should be our goal. Every time we come into something as an actor is to, you know, every time I come in, I'm bringing something different, not, not just bringing the same. Yeah. yeah. It's not fun that way. You know, even when you're doing eight shows a week, it's always going to be a little different or it should be because then I don't know, then you're going to burn out or yeah, I know doing a long run, you know, a long run of something can, it really becomes a job. So, yeah. Um, you mentioned, you know, when you were auditioning and, you know, how con- you kind of viewed the callback. What's something that you wish maybe you understood intellectually about the business? Maybe not about like your craft or your talent, but like something about the business you wish you knew when you were, you know, in your young mid 20s, you know, auditioning about the way things actually work maybe it's something you learn now being a director or an artistic director but something like man i wish i wish i knew that this is how it worked or this is the way it was and maybe something that will be helpful for others i think um i think the the fear of not of somehow the people behind the table are scary or they're they're wanting wishing wanting you to fail or i think there's this mint i think that's why you get yourself psyched you get yourself so psyched up of like I'm going to mess up or these people are going to hate me or, and, and I think realizing that the people behind the table want, they're, they're hoping that you're the right person. They, all I want is for the next, the door to open and the, and my Billy Bigelow to walk in, you know? Right. I don't want, I'm not sitting there going, well, I'm, I, I hope this person's terrible so I can make fun of it. And I, I guess that's a mentality you think that for some reason, like the people behind the table are scary or, it's just no. I want. I. I praying the next person comes in is is what I'm. I'm looking for. 
And I wish I hadn't sort of known that, known that, that, that the people behind the table are, they want you to do great. They want you to be, because I want you to inspire me. Like I want mm. you to come in and, and me to be inspired about how I'm going to do this production based off of what you're bringing into this audition. So I wish I'd realized that, you know, and, mm. know, and known that it, um, and also, you know, I think just knowing that I, that to be a more fearless, I think, I think we're so auditions can be scary and we get caught in our heads and, it's the time and there's the old cliche of when, you know, when I don't care about the audition, I always get it, you know, and that's, and when I want something, I never get it. And I think mm -hmm. that's because you're, you're, you're trying, sometimes you're trying not to make a mistake as opposed to going out and getting the part, not worrying about making a mistake. You know, if you're yeah, that's trying huge. to get, if you're trying to give a perfect audition and, and trying to, hit all the notes and trying to do everything to be perfect. It, it, I'm always, I was never, but allowing yourself that, that you know, you can make a mistake and be okay. Mm -hmm. You can still get a part if you make a mistake. Right. I don't right. care. If, I don't care if you forget lyrics. I don't care if you crack on a note. I don't care if you, uh, it doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm looking for the best person for this part. And, um, you know, if, if you mess up, we'll go back and do it again. It's no big deal. Right. Yeah. Totally. Um, I, I love that because I think that we try to be, it's so competitive and, you know, it's so easy to look to your right and to the left and to your friends that are, you know, getting bigger jobs, any jobs, you know, choreography jobs or directing jobs or, you know, any, anything. And it's, you know, we put that pressure on ourselves and sometimes it's, well, yeah. I'm just going to be, you know, I think for me, the biggest trap is being like, overly prepared you know if i you know if i'm working on an audition like really rehearsing it into like you know something that can be too perfect or too much of a performance that doesn't allow me to like really you know if the reader is giving me something different in the room you know allowing to respond to that and yeah there is a thing of over preparing because again i'm i'm looking for actors who can move in the room and mm -hmm. if you're so locked into something that you made decisions on it's yeah. going to be harder for you to move out of that. And I'll sometimes, I always try to make, if I'm interested in someone, I'll always try to find some sort of adjustment just to see. And I'll say, I don't know if this is how the performance is going to be or not. I said, but I, I just want to see what happens if we do this, just to see where the actor will go with it. And if they give me the exact same thing, then I know that that's not the actor I want to work with. I want, to, I want an actor who takes whatever, right or wrong, takes whatever I give them and does something with it, moves in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the last question that I have, it's such a weird, it, it, it's such a weird thing to talk about, but it's something more and more that I think is coming up when I talk to people on the podcast is this, and it's kind of a loaded word is the word networking, right? Like it's, it, it's people almost have like an aversion to the word because it sounds disingenuous or insincere. But, you know, I just wonder like what it means to you. Like maybe, you know, when you were acting, did you ever feel like, what did networking feel like to you? And then I guess like as a, as a director and an artistic director, how do you keep in touch with, actors do you like actors to keep in touch with you you know you know that kind of thing of like you know we create relationships and then it's about maintaining the relationships 
in a genuine way, but it's, it's just something that I don't even know how to ask the question, but it's, it's just something that I've been thinking a lot about, and I think is a really important part of, of what we do. Yeah. I mean, I, when I was an actor, it was very different because I think the whole the social, social media thing, I think is, uh, we didn't have that when I, when I first started, uh, yeah. there was, so there was no social media when I first started. So, um, which I think is a huge part of it. Uh, you know, even as an artistic director, as a director, you sort of have to be on top of the, of, of, of uh, social media. Um, and I think learning how to do all that stuff is important. Um, you can make a career out of your social media just by, um, people who are good at it can really, can really make, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think um, I've been in situations where people have said, we should cast this person because they have, you know, 30,000 Twitter followers. This is back in the day, but you know, and that, because that was, that's important because if you have as a, especially as a producer, if someone has a huge Twitter following or a huge Instagram following or, or whatever there, that's gonna, that's like, those are followers. Those are people that are going to come buy tickets. Those are people that are going to, it's your, what your, your show may get is going to get out there more. Um, mm-hmm. There's, a, but then, you know, as far as networking within, uh, it, I mean, things have changed. I mean, I was never, I was never good at it as, as an, as an actor. Um, Cause I didn't want to feel disingenuous. You know, I felt I wanted to just sort of create my career on my own and not have to rely on, um, uh, you know, sort of doing that, those sort of things. But I think you have to, to a certain degree. I mean, I, I think just, I think developing relationships with uh, theaters, um, developing relationships with um, theater leaders, artistic directors, directors, good relationships, you know, it can be as simple as, as becoming f- uh, Facebook friends or something and just checking in with people. Like if, if people check in with me and say people I've worked with and just sort of check in and, and send me a, Facebook message or a, an email or, you know, I think that's a good way of keep, and I sit there and go, Oh yeah, I really liked working with that person. Cause I, you work with, you know, you direct how many shows a, a year and, and you, you sort of even forget who those, mm-hmm. you forget those people or not, not forget, but you, they may not be to the top of your mind and, and, and then you, then you may see them and go, Oh yeah, I really like, I really like them. I said, why, why haven't I used them? And, or why haven't I, um, mm-hmm. I think it's also important to, cont- I know a lot of people who, I've worked with if they see that I'm uh, having an open call or, you know, they'll either they'll come in, you know, people, we had auditions for Red House and uh, sort of general auditions and people came in and who I'd worked with. And I was like, oh, my God, it's great. So great to see you. And and uh, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll do a follow up email or things like that. I mean, I think it's sort of being aggressive, but not being not being overly aggressive, not yet is a fine line between sending an email and then sending like, you know. 20 Facebook messages. And, and it's, I think it's just being a sort of a, having normal correspondence with someone, um, Mm. not overly aggressive, but I think that's, 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 that's key sometimes because like, like I said, if, if I, if I don't hear from you, then I'm, I sit there and go, well, maybe they didn't like enjoy working with me. But if I do hear from you, then I'm like, oh, they liked working with me. And and so I, there's an, and I liked working with them. So I think that trying to keep up with people, I think is, is, is good. And, and that's how, that's what I, what I would do. And that's what, as what, how I networked is, is if I, um, you know, auditioned for a certain casting director, maybe I was, I used to send them a little postcard saying thank you or, 
like I said, mm-hmm. now when, when people, students that I've taught will have sent me a little, they send me postcards sometimes. And I'm like, and it's, I think it's a really nice thing to do. Cause not, and, and to be honest with you, not a lot of people do it. Mm-hmm. Like if you take a class with someone uh, with a casting director or artistic director or a director and you l- enjoyed the class, just, there's nothing like just sending out a postcard is, mm-hmm. and, and actually that's refreshing because it's not the, you're not inundated with all the Facebook and emails and all the things that you're sort of, or the Twitter shout outs or Instagram likes. It's just, it's some, it's refreshing to see a postcard that comes in your, in the mail from someone that, that you worked with. I, I think that that's yeah. still a great way to, cause it stands out, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. You took the time to do it and, and it's kind of a, it's getting to be like a forgotten, you know, writing a thank you note to someone and a handwritten thank you note or, or a postcard is, it's kind of becoming a, a forgotten gesture now. So yeah, it's good though. Good. Postcards mm-hmm. are good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome Hunter. Um, thank you so much for doing this. I so oh. appreciate it. I love talking to people who have done different things within the business. I think it's hard. You know, I think you can really get pigeonholed, but I think it's admirable how people take leaps forward and do and do different things and are have the bravery to say, hey, I want to be a director and I want to be an artistic director or I'm a writer and an actor. You know, it's something that I'm I'm doing. And and I think the more we kind of talk about it and the more people like you and like, you know, people that are you know, I, like Joe Mantello comes to mind as someone who's like, I'm acting and I'm directing. Do you know more yeah. people do that? I think it gives a lot of permission for us all to kind of feel like I can do what makes me happy. Yeah. And and a lot of it's cross pollinating. You know, it feeds the other, and you know, like we talked about today. So yeah, absolutely. Um, Hunter, thank you so much. This was like this was so great. It was just nice to have a moment and <laughs> see a different human being and and have a conversation. And and you know, I meant what I said. You're kind of like the perfect person when I think about you know doing what I what I'm trying to do with this podcast. So well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. For more information on the podcast and our guests, visit thebreakdownpodcast.com and connect with us. Let us know you're listening on Facebook and Instagram at The Breakdown with Robbie. And again, if you like what you heard, help spread the word and make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for another episode of The Breakdown. Ah!